Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. What's up, everybody? Welcome to church. Why don't you high five two people in the air and tell them Jesus likes you? Jesus likes you. We need to be reminded that Jesus likes us. Thank God for, you know, I'm just saying, like, I I know it embarrasses them a little bit, and obviously God gets all the glory, but I really like having a worship band that just rocks, dude. I'm just telling you what. Like, I've been, you know, to my own church when the worship team didn't rock in in other days, and I'm just telling you, like, it's a real blessing, so somebody ought to give God praise. I got, like, one hand clap over here. Um, It's a big deal when you're led into the presence of God and you're not like, you know, they're hitting all the wrong chords and all that kind of thing. So, hey, welcome. Um, I'm super excited to be back in the pulpit. I want to uh, remind you, some of you know this, but did you know that the way you interact with the sermon changes how the sermon goes? Did you know that? When you release your faith, this is a spiritual principle. When you're releasing your faith, like, oh, I think God's going to give something to me. Like your faith taps something in the Holy Spirit and draws out just a greater anointing, a greater power in the message for you. So I want to encourage you to go ahead and release your faith. Like every time you come to hear any preacher, you should be like, I bet you guys going to speak to me. And I've just found that when you think that, it tends to happen more. So before we get started, I know we prayed a lot, but we need to pray again because um, many of you know uh, Ron and Shirley Lindstant. Um, they are members of our church, but they tend to be in Florida during the winters. Well, Shirley is in the battle of her life against covid and she's been battling this out for two weeks. Her husband, Ron, they're in their 80s, and he can't get in to see her. You know, he's just a dude that wants to be with his woman. And it's just a really tough situation for them right now. So can we pray for both of them right now? Father, we lift up Ron and Shirley. We pray for Shirley. Father, in Jesus' name, we know that she is your daughter and that you love her, and you have all the power of heaven and earth and the universe. In Jesus' name, God, would you breathe fresh life, breathe into her in a way that drives out every form of unhealth, um, uh, poison, disease, everything, and strengthen her heart. Give her faith. I pray you be right there with her, God, speaking to her, stirring her up in faith, encouraging her. We pray for her husband, Ron. We pray that you'd strengthen him with power as well, that he would believe God for great things through this difficult trial. Help him to sense that you are with him and that we are with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, speaking of hard stuff, we all go through hard stuff. We all go through not only just like little patches, but then some stuff that's a little bit hard to get over. Okay, so um, you've all had those kinds of things. But my wife and I, Kenzie, we got a few of those in a row when we were first married. The first few years, we just had some hard stuff happen. Okay, we went through a church split, and that really broke our hearts. That was really hard on us. There was a lot of friends involved. And, you know, anytime you have that kind of tension and conflict, it's just, it leaves things in a strange, hard place. Not long after that, I got sick, and I was really bad sick for like four and a half years. It was just really hard. So like trauma after trauma. And some of you know this, you can recover from the thing itself, and like on the outside, it gets better. Like things have moved forward. Oh, you know, it was was hard, but now it's a little bit better. But on the inside, it hasn't quite gotten better yet. Like it's much slower on the inside. What's happening in the inner man or inner woman hasn't quite caught up to the outside. So even though things look like, oh, I think things are improving, they are. But what do we do when there's still stuff left over that is unredeemed? God has redeemed some of it. 
And when I say redeemed, that means he's taken some broken things and in some ways he's made it beautiful. The thing wasn't beautiful, but the bad thing that was hard, he's, he's shaped it into something that you can look back. You're like, oh, you know what? Well, praise God. Like that was hard, but he still brought good out of it. What do you do when you're kind of halfway there? And, and on the outside, it looks like he did, he's done some stuff, but on the inside, you're like, I don't know. I don't know if this is resolved. I don't know that this is done yet. Have you had any trials like that? Something that's kind of solved, but not all the way solved. Here's what we're going to learn today. Passing tests pays off. But we never know what tests other people are passing. So we're going to talk about Joseph. In the fall, we started a series called Meant It for Good. And that was kind of like act one of the Joseph story. And when we say, Joseph, we're not talking about Jesus's stepfather. We're talking about the son, one of the sons of Jacob. This is the guy who was, remember, he was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He goes through this really, this is kind of like the whole first act of this play. He's sold into slavery. He goes through these really hard stuff, all these tests. And finally, at the very end, he's, he's actually given all that he was promised by the Lord. Like it turns out God actually did have a plan for all of this. And he's exalted to the second man in charge in all of Egypt. And it's like a big deal. And it looks like everything's redeemed, but it's only kind of redeemed. It's redeemed on the outside, but it's not really redeemed on the inside. The story isn't redeemed because he still has all this inner turmoil. He still has all this baggage and difficulty with regard to his family, with regard to his brothers who betrayed him. So from a certain perspective, there's things that are redeemed. But even from the sense of the story of God, it's not really redeemed. Because remember the, the book of Genesis, which is where we find this story. The book of Genesis is not about Joseph. It's about God. It's about God and his plan to put his people in his land, with his word, so they can ultimately fill the promise of God. That was God's plan. Well, this has kind of happened. Now, remember, he sent Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Jacob has Joseph. But now, Jacob and the rest of the boys, they kind of got off track here. So from God's perspective, this is really unredeemed, because the very thing he sent this family into this land to do, only one of them is actually doing the right thing, and they're all in tension. Everyone else is kind of falling asleep, as we'll see in an upcoming message. So God's story, his story itself is, man, it's unredeemed. It's undone. It's unresolved. And that's where we find ourselves. For Joseph, we're going to pick it up right where he's getting exalted again. Pharaoh's like, you're the man, Joseph. I sense God's spirit in you. I want you on the job. And for Joseph, man, it looks good. It looks kind of good. But I don't know that it's all good inside of his heart. And so that's going to be the larger question of this series. We're not going to finish it all today, but we're going to ask this question in kind of the middle act. We're going to finish this act, and later we're going to come back to act three. But in this middle act, how does Joseph, with God's help, resolve the inner turmoil problems? How does he see redemption and beauty come to this thing that is, looks good on the outside, but is still relatively jacked up on the inside? And what we're going to find is God's pattern for how he brings about redemption, how he brings about difficult, really hard stuff that was broken and how he shapes it into something that after all does, in fact, look beautiful, even though it takes a long time. And we're going to go through the stages. There's different steps that we're going to see in the scriptures. And what I want to encourage you to do is get excited so that you can begin to predict when, oh, it seems like the pattern is happening now. God's getting ready to redeem. God's getting ready to bring some healing in a place that was kind of only partial or maybe a little bit there. How many think that's exciting? How many want to stick around for that series? Good, I hope that you do. Let me say before we get there that three weeks from now is Easter. It's Easter Sunday. And in some ways, you know, we kind of got robbed from Easter last year. So I want to encourage everybody, 
This is the year for anybody that will come, whether online or in person, to invite folks. You know, uh, Jesus told John the Baptist that you never really know what's going on with people. You can't really tell how the Spirit is moving in people. He said the Spirit of God is kind of like the wind. You never really know where it's coming from or where it's going. You just know that it was there by the way things blow around. And I would tell you that before I came to know Jesus Christ, you would not have known that his spirit was blowing inside of me because I didn't look like it. I didn't act like it. But there was something that was already happening before anybody invited me to the little Bible study they ended up going to. There was stuff that God was already drawing me and wooing me. And I just want to say, you don't know who God is already drawing and wooing in your heart. But it's his purpose in the earth. He always is. You know, the last two guys that I... Are you talking to me, sir? You need to be quiet. That girl, man, she just talks when no one's talking to her. Last two guys that I invited to church, I didn't know what was going on with them, and I didn't know if they would come. But they ended up coming. And here's why. Because it takes faith. It takes faith to just be like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you're going to say. You're probably not going to punch me in the teeth. So I'm just going to see. Hey, are you open? Would this be fun for you? Would it be cool? You're doing something anyway on Easter? Why don't you come with me? Come on over to this church and see what happens. Maybe, maybe there's something fun, something in it for you. I know they'll treat you right over there at Fierce. They're really good about that. So I just want to encourage you as we approach, um, let's not miss the opportunity because we don't know where the Spirit is blowing inside of people's hearts. By the way, both those dudes go to our church now. Praise God. And I didn't know. Just got to try. So we'll see what happens. Hey, let's pick it up in this. Uh, we're gonna, it's going to feel like you're coming into the middle of a movie, which we kind of are. But Genesis 41, 38. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man? So obviously filled with the spirit of God. He sees Joseph and he's like, I know that this guy's going to work. And you know, just like any good leader, just like anybody, employers, you know this. Anytime you find somebody who's like, wow, you seem like you can solve problems. You want to grab that up. Because if he can solve problems today, he probably can solve problems tomorrow. And I'm going to have problems in the future. So I want to snatch this guy up. So that's what Pharaoh does with Joseph. He hires him on the spot. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is intelligent or as wise as you are, you'll be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. This is really redemptive for Joseph, for everything that he's gone through. For the 13 years, he's been sitting around as a slave in and out of the dungeon. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring, which is like his, it's like his credit card. It's like his signature. You can get stuff with this, Joseph. You represent me with this thing. And he placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Now look what's happening. <clears throat> because Joseph was faithful to go through these difficult trials, God is actually installing him and clothing him with great authority and even great honor. And we don't want to miss this because there was a scene earlier that you might remember earlier in Joseph's life where he has this, he has this, this coat, this special coat that his daddy bought him. And it looks all pretty and dandy and he looks really different than everybody else. And his brothers, they rip it off of him. And they tear it up and they fill all kinds of blood on it so that it looks like a wild animal ate him. But his glory coat was removed from him. Wicked men removed his glory coat now here's God putting on a much more expensive, probably the most expensive Joseph thing Joseph has ever even owned in his entire life. God himself clothes Joseph. And there's, there's similarities we're supposed to see here because Jesus, his clothes were taken from him, just like Joseph. And Joseph, for us, we need to understand Joseph is a type of Jesus. 
He's, he's showing us a lot about the heart of Jesus and how Jesus responds to us, but don't miss it. Yes, people might have come against us. There might have been things that were really painful and ouchy where people ripped away what should have in some ways rightfully been ours, even if it wasn't always healthy for us. God says, you just trust me. I'm the judge. And when the time is right, I'll reinstall your robe of righteousness. When it's time to highlight anybody, God knows when to highlight things. And he does it here with Joseph. And he's not only given authority, he's given honor. Then he had Joseph ride in a chariot reserved for the second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted out, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. That, the, the Carter translation there is, look at this dude, he's awesome. That's what they would have been shouting. Look at that guy. He's amazing. God has given him honor. Joseph came in as a slave. This is the land of pain for him. This very land, he came, he's, he's known nothing but pain here, and now he's riding around in a Rolls Royce saying, yeah, you pretty much, this is at your disposal now because trusting God pays off. Verse 44, and Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, Zaphonath Penea. I guess when you're gonna be in charge of everybody, you probably ha- ought to have a convincing name. That might not... Look as great if he's got a Hebrew name and he's really Egyptian. So he just gives him a new name. Hey, great. And he also gave him a wife whose name was Asenath. She was the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. So Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. He even gives her, so this priest of On, this was kind of like a clan of priests that was more prestigious than other priests. They were kind of an authority over other priests. And so what the scripture is telling us is Joseph was giving a wife that was more in keeping with his station. She was like a famous wife almost, kind of. That's what... God made sure that Joseph was honored, and so Pharaoh gives him that. Let's look at two challenges from Joseph's eventual reward. It was an eventual reward, but definitely was a reward. And this is what we need to know when we're going through redemption. When there's things that are yet unredeemed, when there's things that are yet unsolved, God, this, this isn't good yet. I heard a pastor say once, if it ain't good, God ain't done. If it ain't good, God ain't done. Okay, so God wasn't done. If God's not done in some certain areas, here's what we need to remember. It's hope. Hope. God can make your tomorrow radically different than your today. God can make your tomorrow, do we even comprehend how different this was for Joseph? In the span of like 20 minutes, his whole life is absolutely entirely changed. Are you releasing your faith for that kind of a thing? Because that's what God can do. Have you got some pain that is yet unredeemed? Can you believe, yes, there's things that are only going to be redeemed in heaven. We're never going to understand it. But there's things now that God still wants to bring healing to. But we have to decide ahead of time, I'm going to hope now. I'm going to believe now. The way it is is not the way that it has to say. Listen how different it was for Joseph. Verse 47, as predicted for seven years, the land produced bumper crops. During these years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain in the surrounding fields in the cities. Piled up huge amounts of grain like sand in the seashore. Man, he couldn't get in charge of very much before, but now he's in charge of everything. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was just there's too much to measure. During this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife Asenath, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. There's just seasons of life. 
And sometimes we're really hard seasons and sometimes we get to good seasons and then there's even more good seasons. Joseph goes into a season of real productivity. He's really working hard and doing a lot of stuff for the nation. And then it's time to have kids. And he's kind of marking the seasons by the way he names his kids. So for the first probably nine years of Kenzie's and my marriage, our marriage wasn't hard. In fact, our marriage was like the saving grace of what was going on. But it was just a lot of hard years. And we got to 2008. And all the names of our children are meaningful, but we got to the birth of Amber Hope. Because we, we named her Hope because we felt like, gosh, things are finally starting to turn around. Holy cow. Things have just been hard. And now finally we feel like God is, well, things are kind of falling back into place. And it seems like some of those promises turn out to be true after all. God is having mercy on us. And so Joseph does that with his firstborn. He says, you know, I'm going to name him Manasseh because he's made me forget all the pain of my... He's saying, you know, now that I'm here, even though it was hard, the pain of my father's household and the rejection that I got from my brothers, God's goodness has given me such joy that it's like it pulls the sting out a little bit. I remember it. You see how God, God will heal trauma. Sometimes we get this crazy victim mentality like God is not a healer. Honey, I know you've been through hard stuff, but don't just like lie down in the road and be like, well, just trauma for the rest of my life. Yeah, a lot of people have trauma. Not everybody goes to Jesus to get it healed because we see you didn't probably go through as much trauma as Joseph would have. And yet God can still bring joy to that. He's not saying it was okay. He's saying, look at the way though that God has come through. Isn't that amazing? Verse 40, 52, Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief because God can take a buffeting and turn it into a blessing. He can take a beating and turn it into a blessing. That's what God can do. And that's what God did for Joseph. And we've got to understand how much this must be like a surprise to him on some levels. Because think about it if you're Joseph, okay? You've been a slave for 13 years. You don't have nothing. You don't get to do anything that you're not like these small little rights that you have. And I just imagine Joseph laying there on his back, you know, like in the, in the cell, in the dungeon, if he can even see any sky at all through any kind of window, night after night, and he's looking up at the sky. And he's thinking, I am here in a land where very meaningful things happen. Egypt is like the world superpower at this time. And I'm the most meaningless thing here. And he's losing all confidence in himself. And he's saying, there were so many nights where all it was about was survival for me. And now, he is causing the survival of an entire nation. That's a flip, man. Who would have believed, Joseph, God can make your future radically different than your very difficult past I wonder, I think it would have happened to me. I know I've had dark nights where I'm wondering, you know, you get in your own head and then you're in other people's heads and you just get a little crazy. But I'm wondering if he was ever thinking, seeing his brothers there in his mind's eye, you know? And I'm like, yeah, real powerful now, aren't we, little brother? Where's your dream coat now, little brother? Not really in charge of anything, but maybe other prisoners, are we? All you bragging like you're gonna be ruling over us. Not very important are we now, Joseph. But you know what happens to the person who allows God to test them in the fire? They begin to see truth in new ways. Because I really believe Joseph's response would have been, yeah, you know what? Turns out I'm really not that important. 
I thought I was when I was 17. I thought God needed me to do some really important and powerful things. But now I know, and this is what everybody is going to learn, especially those who maybe were told they were special or think that they are special or on some level and some you know, subconscious way think, yeah, I think I could really be helpful to God's kingdom. If we will embrace it by faith, God will bring us through fire, but he will teach us in that it's gentle and it's loving, but it's this truth. God doesn't need anybody. He definitely doesn't need you. And that's good training. That's a good lesson. That makes us usable, finally, to God. Because now, he can draw near and give grace to the humble. And no longer withdraw from the proud. We, talk, we just sang about new wine. I love that song. I just really like a lot of the new songs we're singing. How many think those are good? I like them. Yeah. Talk about new wine. And you know, I'm, I'm sitting here and my hands are up like, new wine, I want some new wine, Lord. New power, I'll take some. But do you know that in new wine, the reason it's new wine is because grapes were crushed. And you and I are the grapes. We're the grapes that Jesus crushes to make his, his best wine. But it's a crushing so when we sing that song, we just need to know what we're saying is, I do want a new level, man, new victory, new power. Let's do it while I embrace what otherwise is tearing me in half. This is hard. New wine is hard, yo. Joseph made it through it, and we can make it through it. I'm going to skip down to verse 56. So with, with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouse and distributed grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt, and people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was so severe throughout the world. Are you wrestling with any unresolved tensions, unredeemed trials? Yeah, it's kind of fixed a little bit on the outside. It's better, but it's not, you couldn't call it good yet. You got the right God, but you have to decide now that I'm going to believe in the midst of the impossibility that God can still do it. Maybe you're wrestling with a family member and you're like, I cannot imagine a time where we're good again. Or you're wrestling with a sin issue that you're like, you know, I believe God is my sanctifier and yet I don't know because I don't know if I'm ever really going to be free of this thing until I'm dead. Or maybe you're, you're a mom and you're at home a lot of the time with your kids and you're like, oh, and you're, you know, I can't pull out hair, but you're pulling out your hair. And you're like, you know they're going to grow up someday, but it sure feels like they're not. And you're stuck with these kids and you don't really know what to do. Or maybe, maybe like me, there's a lot of times you're asking, God, am I ever going to bear any fruit for the kingdom? That's what I was asking a lot in my 20s. God, am I ever going to do anything for you? Come on. What is, I feel like you told me some things and now it's not even real. So when Kenzie and I were in our early 20s, um, you know, we had that church split. I was out of work. And so now we've got a brand new baby girl and you got to work, man. And we're in this very rural kind of part of the country. Okay. And so you're not going to get a lot of jobs that aren't like construction or something to do with farming or Domino's pizza delivery. So that's what I did. Construction and Domino's pizza delivery. And it was just whatever you could do. Cause you had to feed the baby. I mean, that was, that was, that was the win, man. And so one day I'm at this, I'm, I'm working on the railroad. I'm, I'm 
railroad. I'm in the middle of this field. There's all there is is a grain elevator and train tracks, okay? Hour and a half away from home. And I'm on this crew. And you got to understand, like, I'm not dissing them, but, you know, the personnel, nobody cares about the personnel. They're like, if I fire you up, there's four people waiting for your job. I don't care. And so they'll leave you out in the rain all day, 10 hours a day, freezing rain. And, and, and it's one day, the rain's coming down. It's late fall now, so it's cold. It's not warm. And my boots are filling with water. I don't mean they're wet. I mean, you can feel like a little lake in your boots. And, and you're going through this for a couple hours, and you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. This is really hard. And as I'm crying out, I felt like the Spirit of God just prompted me. Now is when your faith is for. Now is when your faith is for. You don't need faith when it's easy. You need faith when everything seems to be telling you your faith is a lie. That's when you need to have faith. And by the grace of God, I just felt like this is not, this is not gonna be my dead end. Maybe I will die out here in the rain, but I'm gonna believe that God is not a liar. And somehow, some way, he's gonna get me out of this thing and some, someday do what Kenzie and I feel like he's told us we're supposed to do. Can I challenge you to believe today? Believe it today in your unredeemed area. Believe it today that someday God could really move in a way that you cannot predict. And it could be very, very different than it is right now because passing our tests pays off. But we're never gonna know what tests people are passing, so that's why we need part two. There's hope that God can really do infinitely more than we could ever ask or dare to imagine, but there's also this essential need of humility. And that is that we don't see people the way God sees people. And this is part of redemption because for most of us, people were part of whatever went wrong. People were part of what is still unredeemed. Joseph's brothers, he now is in the very place he told them about, but they didn't believe him. They didn't believe him back in the day. They thought he was nuts because they couldn't imagine. Why would God choose Joseph? But you know, so often we can't imagine what God is doing with other people. We just see them kind of in one way. They're just this, whatever they are. If they hurt you at all, they're just this now. They're just that sin. Have you noticed that God chooses people we would just never pick? Like he chooses Jeremiah and Josiah, really young guys. Or he chooses to use people like Cyrus or Nebuchadnezzar or even the apostle Paul, who are all at least at first pagans. And yet God, that don't bother God. God just does whatever he wants. And he chooses who he wants. But here's our thing is that we see things from a distance. We see things from a distance. If we're going to have our situations redeemed, we have to realize, I only see from a distance. I don't see everything that's going on. Because sometimes when we go through trauma, we freeze. Like, well, even if it was years ago, like, we freeze emotionally with regard to that thing in that emotion, and that's how it is. And yet often, upon further reflection and upon further revelation, well, that, that, that was a piece of it, but that wasn't all of it. I've got a pastor friend who... In 2016, he was fired from his church. It was, a, it was a big time, nationally famous church. You would know it. And he got fired for alcoholism. It wasn't like, you know, adultery or anything like that. He was just, he was getting drunk, man. He'd always had problems with that. And he, he, it was a big scandal when he fell. But after that, he became so compassionate. He like started another church and he's doing really well, but his character is different. He's really different about how he talks about other people. He's really different about what he thinks even church is about. It's for people that need grace. And so he posted this image the other day. So why you should be gentle with people. And he's, here's someone's life. There's a little dot. 
is what you know about it. Someone's entire life and that little thing that we know about it, which is not much because we see from a distance and we don't see their pain and we have no idea what people have been through and we don't see their work. We don't see what other people don't see that only maybe God sees. We don't see the prisons that they're resisting. We don't see the depression that they're trying every day to walk out of. We don't see the voices that they're fighting every day to just keep going. We don't see their hangups. We don't see what they had to fight. We don't see the, t- the tests that they're already passing. We're picking out one test that we think they're not passing, but they're passing 70 that we just don't know about, but God knows about them. Because God knows we just don't see. We're really not very good judges because we don't know what's going on with people, but we judge and we do the opposite of what Jesus would do. Jesus said, as far as when he walked on the earth, now he is the great judge of heaven and earth and there's going to be a day, yeah, everyone's going to stand before him and their works are going to be weighed. They're going to be saved by grace through faith, but whatever else they did is going to affect what happens in heaven. But he says, when he was on earth, he said, you judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone. I'm not judging anyone. When we judge... We lift ourselves up above other people. It's not just that we claim to know things maybe about them that we may or may not, often more than we do, but we say, I would never do that. I'm so much more self-righteous. I just wouldn't do it, which only really proves that we do not know ourselves because there's no one righteous, no one seeks God, no, not even one. And that's why Paul said, I don't even judge myself. I only trust God to do it because he's the only one that is right. How much less can I judge anybody else? But we see people from a distance and so we judge them or we lack humility and we're cynical. Remember what cynical means. It means cynicism is the form of arrogance that thinks you see through everybody. You see through all the facades. You see everybody's heart. You know how it really is. You're on to the conspiracy. And all that is is cynicism. All that is is kind of ridiculous because believe it or not, I don't know if you've figured this out yet, but God actually wants us to believe the best about people. He doesn't want us to believe the secret inside story. He wants us to like find things to celebrate about people and enjoy about them. And don't you wish this too? I mean, when, when you've done some little thing wrong in your mind, don't you kind of wish, like, can't people just give me the benefit of the doubt? Come on. Come on, I'm trying to do all these other things right Yeah, Okay, one thing there, and even if it was a big thing, don't you still want them to say, well, I trust their heart. I know that's probably not what they meant. Just give them the benefit of the doubt. That's what we want people to do for us. Why aren't we doing it for other people? It slows down our experience of redemption. And then finally, in our lack of humility, maybe in our frozen state emotionally, we critique and we slander. And maybe when we slander, we're manifesting not the son of God, but the accuser of the brethren, Satan. We're more like him. When we, even when we're waving in on some God, like, well, you know, I just wish that they would obey God. No, that's what Satan would say probably too. Let's not manifest the wrong thing, please. That's why it says in Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness, passion, and anger. No more shouting or insults. No more hateful feelings of any sort. See, people that have a real critical spirit, and this is us sometimes, they're really good at tearing people down. Like, man, they can deconstruct this, and let me just tell you what else is wrong. And I think, like, the internet has only made this worse because now you kind of get a little bit of, you get likes for it. 
You know, you think it's like really cool. You can slander people several different ways that looks like good prose. And you think just because it's good prose, it's not sin. And yet it's still wicked. And we, get, we fall in love with our own opinion. And let's just all, may, may God have mercy on us and give us discernment to know when you just don't really need an opinion about that. Can you just save yourself, you know, all the stress of even having to think about that? Why don't you just not think? Why do you need to have an opinion about that? Why can't we just recognize that if my opinion sounds a little bit like something Satan would say, I just need to not have an opinion, okay? We don't, we don't discern that. We think Satan's only ever going to say, like, this is Satan talking, whatever, instead of he talks right through our critical spirit. How about we just say this? Let's just, let's just decide. So get somebody in your head that maybe is part of your unredeemed story yet. And let's just say this. They are not my servant. Can we just say that together? They are not my servant. One more time. They are not my servant. Romans 14, 4. Oh, it's in the Bible. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. Don't you think that Jesus will go to bat for you? Don't you think if you mess up, he's still going to find a way to help you? Well, wouldn't he do it for them too? He's doing the same thing for them. He loves you both just as much. Of course he's going to do that. How about this one? There are circumstances of their heart that I cannot know. There are circumstances of their heart that I cannot know. They're not my servant, and I can't know their heart, and they're not one thing. They're like 70 things, just like me. And they have good days and off days, and they're just none of my business. We never know what's going on with somebody, man. I remember when one of the, during one of the years that I was sick, my, my, my little family and I, we walk into Macy's, and we're quite a sight anytime we go anywhere, but um, it, during this time, I was, what I mean is there's just a lot of us, um, but I was really sick at this point, and part of my sickness was that you, you can have a lot of pain kind of constantly, but nobody knows about it. Like, you, you wouldn't know that I was in pain. It's just part of the deal. And I'm walking in, and I just feel like prompted of like, notice this, Carter. Like the Spirit of God is saying, notice this. You're feeling pain right now. How many other people are feeling pain also that you just never consider? You just don't see it, so you don't think about it. But think about it. Just because you don't see somebody's pain doesn't mean it's not happening. And he was trying to like coach me into being more compassionate. Just assume that there's pain you don't see. Instead of assume everyone's probably fine just because you feel fine. See, one of the things God's going to teach us if we're really going to see redemption is we got to be able to say, I'm sure people really did do me wrong and I'm sure things really did go difficult. But also, there may be cases where I misjudge somebody. There may be cases where I was just wrong. And until we're soft enough to be able to receive that, my friends, I don't think you can see a bunch of, a whole ton of redemption because real redemption is me becoming more like Christ. If the situation isn't, is redeemed, but I'm not more like Jesus, it wasn't really redeemed for me. Because God's plan is that as redemption comes, he and his son and I are more and more in unison together. So maybe instead of like, 
just weighing in about what so-and-so did wrong. You're not saying they didn't do anything wrong, but you say, I tell you what, I can either harbor this offense or I can pray for them. I can pray for their courage. I can pray for their strength. I can pray, Lord, would you, okay, part of me wants you to get back at them for me, God, and so instead of that, can you just bless them in the way that they would understand what they did wrong? Lead them to your word. Lead them toward repentance instead of getting hit by a bus. I don't know, I don't know maybe y'all pray really sweet, but I'm like, <laughs> I have a hard time not praying my enemies get attacked by werewolves or something. So I'm sure you'll do better than me. But the point is you're praying God's blessing on them. You're praying something positive happens. So what was it? Two challenges. Remember, first, hope that God can make your tomorrow radically different than today. And second, humility, because we don't see people the way God sees them. And here's the why. Because Jesus didn't judge you. He hoped for you. That's what he did. He did not judge you. He hoped for you. Because Jesus is the true Joseph. And just like it was said of Joseph, remember it said in verse 49, he piled up huge amounts of grain like the sand of the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. Because of the cross, Jesus has stored up for you Mercy after mercy and grace after grace. And there's just too much to count. It could never be counted because it is infinite. That's why he can take your sin and he can throw it into the ocean of forgetfulness. And he can say, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you because Jesus is the true Joseph. And that's why they said, go to Joseph. And that's why we say, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus because he's the real savior here. He's the real hero in this story. And because Jesus didn't judge me and because Jesus hoped, even when he had no reason to hope for me, I'm gonna avoid judging if I can by the grace of God and I'm gonna hope, well, God, you can still, you can still bring redemption to this area because God can change anything. There's still time. There's still time for some of this. God can change people. God can change situations and good news. God can change you. And God can still change me. So if you believe it today, go ahead and shout amen. Amen. And let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we want to thank you so much for the redemption that is a part of your purposes and plans for us. Thank you that, yes, you redeem us in Christ, but then you, you go to work redeeming little pockets of areas. And we just invite you. We ask for greater faith to be able to believe for redemption in these areas. And we ask for a spirit of humility. God, maybe we did misjudge them some things. Maybe we didn't understand it all the way. Maybe there's conclusions we drew and they've got us frozen. They've got us stuck. And we pray you'd thaw us out and look to you instead of to judgment or unforgiveness. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. 
I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.